I first met Kristen Osborne when I was doing the Book of Will at North Light Theatre, where Kristen is the artistic assistant uh, involved with casting and involved with literary department and scene selection. And when we were rehearsing Book of Will, uh, as regular listeners will know, on the Sunday of every rehearsal week, Jessica Thebus um, set aside an hour for pub time. I am now meeting Kristen again here at the Celtic Knot pub in Evanston, Illinois, and it's a perfect location because we're about to talk about Henry IV, both parts one and two, because Kristen, you were the assistant director on the recent Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles production of Henry IV, both parts, with young Mr. Tom Hanks as Falstaff. Was it as definitive as it sounded? It was a crazy experience. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 620, Tom Hanks's Falstaff. Regular podcast listeners will know that I've talked about the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles' production of both parts of Henry IV before, with composer Michael Roth, who wrote the score for this production, and our own Jeff Marlowe, who played several roles in it. So it was so very fun to talk to assistant director Kristen Osborne about the production, because... Well, for one, it's as close as I could ever get to seeing it. Um, but also, it was a fascinating conversation to hear about how a young director starts out and begins developing her career. Along those lines, I started our conversation by asking Kristen the most fundamental question. How did you get the gig, first of all? How does a, how does a girl from Northlight Theater in Chicago in Skokie get a job at a big high-profile event like this in Los Angeles? Mm -hmm. So um, I used to live in Los Angeles. I went to UCLA in the theater department, was a director in the theater department. You were a baby bear. Yes, baby, a little baby Bruin. A baby um, Bruin. I'm a California golden bear, but that's all right. We, we won't talk about no, that. Don't. No, um, So I went to UCLA, and I started working at the Geffen Playhouse in Westwood um, in various capacities. Assistant directing was the main thing, but just doing all kinds of whatever came along because I love those people there. Um, and so when Daniel Sullivan was brought on to direct Henry Four, he has worked at the Geffen and he came to the Geffen and said, do you guys have any recommendations? And they recommended me. And so that is how it came to be. So it, it was crazy. Just but that's just a, just a great example of the thing, you know, the thing I tell students and young theater people all the time, which is get into a place, become invaluable, and don't be a dick. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Build those relationships, have a good attitude, yeah. don't yeah. be a jerk, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so and so then what so what did you what did you actually do as assistant director? Did you just get coffee and sharpened pencils or did you actually get to sit in on casting and watch where you know what did you get to do? Yeah, that's that's always a fun thing as an assistant director coming into a process, you know, you never know where that line is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I've definitely done all of those things before. Um, 
Um, so, and I haven't worked with Dan before, oh. before this process. So I didn't quite know what to expect. And um, knowing, you know, his level of experience, I, I was like, this could go either way. And it really ended up being a good balance. Like the first day of rehearsal, I, you know, went up to him and I was like, would you like me to get you some coffee? And he was like, no, you don't ever have to get me coffee, which was great. And like, so nice. And of course, like still when you're in the craziness of tech, I was like, I'm getting you coffee. Like we need coffee. <laughs> so I did that. But then, you know, in the day in, day out, I was helping to manage the script, which because it was an adaptation of both parts into one play, yeah. you know, one three hour play, yeah. it, it felt like a new play process, which is something that I feel a lot more familiar with actually than the Shakespeare side of it. Um, so I was helping to manage the script. Um, we had an ensemble of 19. Um, and so there was a lot of like, okay, in this scene, this actor is playing a lord. And then in this scene, and, and so just keeping track of like where all of those parts were and who was available. You know, we had sparse scenic transitions that were like moving furniture on and off and, you know, getting, tracking through all of that. And so I was really helping to keep that organized and, you know, when, when he needed a suggestion or he needed to know who's available or who's coming from where, I was able to provide that. So I was just, you know, staying really organized. And then once in a while, he would turn to me at the table and say, you know, what do you think is happening here? And those were like the best moments yeah. too. It's, yeah. But you were part of the team. You were, yeah. Absolutely. You were part of the team. Um, that's fascinating. The, 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 the editing, dare I say, the abridgment, the reduction yes. of the two parts of Henry IV into one. You and I had a conversation before your rehearsals started and I was saying, or kind of surmising that that if you if you combine both parts of Henry the Four into one event and you cast Tom Hanks as Falstaff, it's suddenly not a coming of age story about young Hal anymore or a history play even, it's a tragedy about Falstaff, right? It, did that turn out to be true? Yes, that was absolutely true. I mean, it was still, it was still, we're seeing Hal's arc and still the politics. Um, basically, the adaptation really streamlined everything into like quick scenes yeah. for the most part. And then when we would get into the world of the tavern, those were were less less abridged yeah. um, and, and played out. And so it did feel in a way like Falstaff's story and the way that Dan's vision came to fruition is that we started with Falstaff actually he took I don't know if Michael Roth talked about this one yes so he took a song from part two a drinking song um, that I think Justice Silence sings and he put it at the beginning of the play and Michael composed a really wonderful composition um, a version of this drinking song and Tom began the show by just coming out with his tankard from the pub and sitting down and starting us in this robust, vibrant right. pub song. And everybody came and joined. And so we started the play there. And then in the end, we came back to that. So we sort of came full circle back to the world of the tavern and again back to Falstaff's spirit and, you know, existence in the play. That's so cool. And I, and I should clarify that, okay, so even though you had Tom Hanks as Falstaff, the rest of the cast weren't rookies. You had Hamish Linkletter as Hal, Joe Morton who people might know from Scandal, but I think of him still as the brother from another planet from 30 years ago. Harry Groner as, who was Harry Groner playing? He was, um, so he was Justice Shallow and he was Northumberland.
Northumberland. Northumberland, that's right. And there was another big, well, Rondi Reed. Rondi Reed from Chicago, uh, a, a fantastic mistress quickly. I mean, it was that. And the Reduce Shakespeare Company's own Jeff Marlowe yes. as Archbishop of Canterbury and third Duke from the right and the Justice. And Justice Silence and Justice Silence, which was brilliant. It was so good. I love Jeff. Yeah. He's he's the best. Well, and, and that was another um, like really fascinating part of the combining of these plays with a relatively small ensemble for what the plays require. Yeah. You know, 19 people for a ton of roles. I mean, I don't even think I ended up counting how many there were, but so many. And, you know, so Jeff, like, from the Archbishop to Silence, like, the wild swings, or, you know, Northumberland to Shallow, um, or Pito, you know, one of the guys that played Pito was also Lancaster. And so you had, like, and, and it was really cleverly done. You had people playing these extreme different versions yeah. of, of people, and it was it was really fun to see them do that. Emily, Emily Swallow played Lady Percy, and then also played um, Mistress Dal Tearsheet. And that, because of the edit, um, and really because of having her play both of those roles, she had a like less than a minute quick change from Lady Percy in part two with Northumberland to Mistress Dahl. And that and Dan loved that about it. It was that like the whole fun of it is that it seems impossible that she exits the stage and then enters pretty much at the top of the next scene in the tavern as Dahl. And then the audience and, and she goes from high class to low class. Exactly, yeah. exactly. The fun was in those those big transformations. And at the end of the play, the the entire cast comes out for their bows and the audience goes, holy crap, there's only 19 people up there. Yes, totally. Yeah. And that was, I mean, that was a challenge uh, for the costume designer. That was like everyone had to really embrace the yeah. the challenges and the, and the fun that that presented. And so we had guys who in our ensemble would go from king soldiers to rebel soldiers back to king soldiers. I mean... The, the backstage traffic was phenomenal. And so the the costume designer had to figure out ways for them to make those quick shifts and to look like, okay, now they're a rebel soldier. Now they're a king soldier. Now they're a recruit. And they're these shabby guys. It was, it was really cool. Hello folks, this is Mike McShane, and you're listening deeply and completely to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Yes. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and illustrated by the marvelous Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. Our 2018-2019 tour of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play abridged, the ultimate Christmas show abridged, and the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged revised continues this week in Saginaw, Michigan, then continues on to 23 more cities in 18 different states, featuring 11 different actors and three different stage managers. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office venue and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with director Kristen Osborne. 
As assistant director, did you um, get to weigh in ever at all? Did like did you take notes on a run and say to Dan, oh, I'm thinking we're losing this moment or we're losing that, or did you ever work with any of the actors? Um, well, I definitely was taking notes, and he was, you know, all about like, especially when we got into previews, taking my own notes, or he'd have me check a sight line. Um, but I, I really respected the expertise that he was coming into the play with, and really my goal always as assistant director is like, how am I helping to fulfill your vision for this piece? Right, it's not like he, right, he doesn't need my opinion. No. Right, right. Not really, not really, but one cool yeah. thing that I got to do as assistant director was um, in the second weekend of performances, Tom Hanks actually um, was not, he had a conflict, just a personal conflict, and so from... I think one of his kids was graduating college, right? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I got to put on his understudy, and that was, it was known, I know. I, I didn't, I gotta tell you, I didn't know where that sentence was going. I got to put on Tom Hanks's under, what? Where? What? <laughs> yes, no. I did see uh, some Tom Hanks underwear because his fat suit was so glorious. I can't say, like, it was fantastic. Holly Poe Durbin, the costume designer, it, it looked a little bit like a Ninja Turtle back from the back, if that, if that image resonates at all. So it was like the late, because they wanted him to look flabby. And so it was like layers of fat that you could see just draped down his back. It was it was really cool. So anyway, didn't put on his underwear ever, but did see like a version of that. So not far off. But I put on his understudy, Peter Van Norden. And what, what does that mean to put him on? You rehearsed through him through the moves. Yes. Yeah, so this was because it was a little bit of an unorthodox um, situation. We knew we knew that Peter was going to go on from day one, and so Peter was at every rehearsal. So and he. He's an incredible professional actor, you know, union actor on in his own right, and works all the time in LA. So, um, so there, that was the understanding going into it. And so we designed the week before he went on. He basically got four rehearsals, um, and only two of those were with the actual cast. So the whole understanding was like, okay, Peter, like you're gonna come in and you're gonna know it, and then we're gonna work together. And so he came in. So prepared, so off book, knew the blocking inside and out, knew the track that we actually could work on the acting, which was so fun for me as a director to like really get into that role with another person and see and see his version of Falstaff. Which what I really respected is he didn't just try to do Tom Hanks Falstaff. He did Peter Van Norden's Falstaff, which was brilliant and like so spectacular. And I had friends that came to his performance who just loved it and were like and. And so where you think, you know, those are huge shoes to fill, you know, really was an exciting opportunity for us both to be like, let's let's do this. You know? Right. You're filling in for Dan. He's filling in for Tom. And you're putting on the show. Yes, exactly. Oh, really and and it was a, they created a venue they cre in, in, yes. in this park in L.A., in this garden. So they created a stage where nothing had, uh, existed before. You had to bring in everything, props, sound, Scenery, seats, everything. Electricity. So, electri oh, electricity. You were part of, and you were part of a lot of this. Yes. So that was what was incredible, and it's a cool thing that the Shakespeare Center does with the Los Angeles veterans um, community. This organization that's a campus in West.
West, um, Westwood technically, I think. But anyway, they did it in the Japanese garden, which I don't think had been really used much prior to this. And so it was like a full team of people, all veterans, came and, and did exactly what you say, built it from the ground up. Yeah. And, you know, that includes seats and risers and foundations for the lighting grid. And um, we had a hill that was the backdrop of the whole show. So Ralph Funicello's set was so beautiful. It was this skeleton of sort of like, you could picture it as a palace wall with these great, it was beautiful. There are pictures online, you can check it out. There's also a great video of the creation yeah. of this and, and, and how they were able to uter utilize veterans on the backstage crew. It's really uh, actually very moving. Yes. I highly recommend that. So anyway, so the whole concept for the set was that we were going to use this hill um, that was behind, just behind the set. And uh, the challenge of the hill, which is a fun story, is that it was infested with gophers. Infested, <laughs> I'm not even joking, infested with gophers, the worst gopher infestation that the leading gopher um, like person in Los Angeles came to look at it and said, this is the worst infestation I've ever seen. They're called pocket gophers and they posed a great challenge to us so we had we had blocked the whole show by the time we got to this point we had blocked the whole show I mean the whole battle of Shrewsbury everyone came down this hill so oh, guys in their armor with their weapons and so we were like oh no what are we gonna do if we can't use this hill and how are we gonna get the gophers out because it's not about, it's just just about the animals it's the it's the holes the gopher holes that people exactly. are gonna be tripping through yes well and now I know a lot about pocket gophers in case you're wondering so they create basically just like basketball size holes that if you step on they collapse oh. so it's like a broken ankle waiting to happen yeah, yeah. so basically our producers had to figure out you know how do we manage this gopher infestation and what can we do and because it was the veterans campus and you know the Japanese garden there was a lot that we couldn't do just because of the regulations surrounding that's federal ground like we there were so many things that went into that but long story short the gophers were dealt with they were managed humanely and um, and then the show went on and we got to use the hill which was a really great part of the production like beautiful well, now I'm thinking that if, if Shakespeare Center of LA remounts this production of Henry IV on the same location against that same hill, Falstaff has got to be played by Bill Murray, if there are all those gophers. We, we definitely did have some Bill Murray jokes throughout the production, yes. Given the gophers, yeah, absolutely. What does this, uh, so from, from a career standpoint, does this gig for you, assistant directing gig for you, lead to other opportunities with Shakespeare Center, lead to other opportunities to assist Dan, lead to an opportunity to direct Tom Hanks yourself in something? What does it do for you career-wise? Yeah, well, I think all of those things are like you hope, you know, like those are all the best case scenarios. And going into it, I really thought, you know, I'm gonna just like work my hardest, yeah. be the best that I can be going into that room and and whatever happens happens and so you know if it does get produced again I would love to work on it again I hope that that happens I haven't heard about that yet um, and then you know working with Tom again it would be such a pleasure he was wonderful like yes um, and I feel like I made a lot of good relationships just in general that in the future I mean it's such a small world yeah. you never know who's gonna be looking for a person to, to help out with this project yeah. or whatever 
whatever. So yes. Um, and then I think more than anything for me, it was just a confidence building experience. You know, I called you before the, the first day of rehearsal terrified because, you know, here is this like high caliber team of people who are attempting this really ambitious project. And here's me like, oh my gosh, I, you know, all the normal doubts. They're going to find me out on day one and kick me out. Exactly. I'm a fraud. So, <laughs> so I think then going through the entire process, which was quick and a whirlwind and a challenge, um, and watching Dan work with the actors and, and just having the conversations in the room of like all of it's, it's what you told me on the phone of like, these are just people, you know, like Shakespeare's just a person. We don't need to put them on a high shelf where we can't reach it. Like it's, let's just dig into the work. And that I think was the biggest takeaway was like, oh, this is, this is what the work is. And I came away with like a, a greater love, I think, for the work and for Shakespeare um, in general. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Send us your thoughts on reducing and casting Shakespeare to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast or on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to lovable rogue Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band, and also this week by Michael Roth, whose opening song for Henry IV you'll hear in just a minute, sung by Tom Hanks and the amazing Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles cast. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Mustang Zero, hashtag Vets Resist Squadron. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Mike McShane from Whose Line Is It Anyway and Friar Tuck in the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. And if he hasn't played False Taff yet, he definitely should. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 620 860ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. For the merry year, and praise God for the merry year. When flesh is cheap and females here, and lusty lads roam there and here. So merrily, so merrily, and ever amongst, so merrily, so merrily, so merrily, and ever amongst, so merrily. Be merry, be merry, my wife has all. Be merry, be merry, my wife has all. For women are shoes both short and tall. For women are shoes both short and tall. Tis merry all when beards wag all, and well the merry shrove tight.
This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.